You've lost the opening sentence, haven't you? Yeah, yeah I miss, missed the sentence. Yeah. Uh, Got to the end prematurely. A uh, bit like yeah. Michelle Welbeck. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know that. We, well, we don't seen know it, that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm guessing. It's Friday, May the 19th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darroch, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Silent Windmill Tilter, and with me as usual is Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Midnight Saab Cowboy. Uh, I think you don't have any idea what my job title is about, right? Uh, not much, and you're probably a bit mystified by mine as well. So who's going to yes, go? I'm, I'm I'm mystified by yours as well. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, mine. My job title is about the agriculture agreement or the agriculture non-agreement, rather non-agreement. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because uh, another week, another failed attempt to reach an agriculture agreement. Um, I think it was uh, Wednesday. Yeah, it was Wednesday night that uh, all parties involved met again for a 24-hour-long <laughs> round of talks. Mm. Literally, it lasted 24 hours. Yeah. Um, and uh, those are the, the these are talks between the agriculture minister and agriculture lobby group LTO. Yeah, and the this is to try and get an agreement with the farmers on the buyouts. The controversial buyouts for the farming sector because they have to cut the nitrogen emissions right among other things yeah. yes yeah. Uh, this uh, this this uh, is supposed to be the framework within a solution will be found um, and um, these round of talks filled again yeah uh, in the middle of the night uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte who came fresh from Iceland uh, had to uh, uh, step in uh, and he drove in his very old Saab to uh, to the talks uh, at Ockenburg uh, near The Hague, I believe. But it uh, uh, to no avail because uh, yeah, uh, at at 7 a.m. Uh, everyone came out. Yeah, they broke and, up without uh, agreement. Yeah, and Mark Rutte drove away in a Saab again, uh, and uh, in clear daylight, uh, it was uh, it was uh, shown that uh, his car was. Uh, completely covered in bird shit, <laughs> <laughs> which suggests to me that he doesn't use it that often. Yeah. Um, or that perhaps the farmers are somehow uh, in league with the birds. Um, yeah. <laughs> this, uh, and this is a, this is a, a sort of practical criticism. Yeah. Well, from what I've heard from the Vogelbeschrijving this week, I don't think uh, farmers or birds uh, will uh, will reach an agreement uh, no. uh, 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 <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> um, so, b- because of Marguerite's car, his his focus was uh, uh, the the media's focus was was completely diverted from the agricultural agreement, which yeah. is so important. And it all switched to Marguerite's car. Uh, <laughs> uh, everyone was laughing about la- uh, uh, yeah, laughing about it. Yeah. Uh, and um, also, uh, I looked, uh, I, I read an article in the Telegraph about his car, and it turns out that Marguerite bought his car. Uh, from a uh, car dealer, and do you know what his name was? The name of the car dealer? Yeah. Um, I don't know, something like um, uh, Ackermann or Boer <laughs> or De Boer or something like that, yeah. Yeah, you're close. Uh, Wim Kok. <laughs> oh, Wim Kok. So the yeah, who okay. is, of course, a predecessor yeah. of Mark Rutte, uh, former prime minister, yeah. but it was did a completely different person. <laughs> it was just a did, he have, did he have to pay an extra uh, 25 cents for the, uh, for the petrol? <laughs> The, the, yeah, the famous Cartier Cork, yeah, a, a, an extra quarter, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I thought it was very funny to yeah, see yeah. Mark Rutte drive his own car. Yeah, so literally, so sort of passed on the you know the car from Vimcock. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, and your job title, uh, Gordon. Yeah, well, well uh, that has to do with birds as well. Because this, oh, really? Yes, because this is how I wanted to shoehorn in what was actually my favourite story of the week, which is that uh, the wind turbines off the North Sea were stopped for four hours to allow oh, migrating yeah. birds to pass through. That's right. Is, uh, yeah, yeah. So that originally the um, uh, because because it turns out the winter, which I thought was just a uh, d- just a lovely story in a um, in a week of uh, quite uh, heavy doom laden news elsewhere, and uh, apparently it's the first time that uh, a government has actually ordered wind turbines to be switched off altogether for the sake of migrating birds, uh, because the turbines are are quite a problem. Um, apparently, fifty thousand yeah. birds a year are killed. Um, uh, because uh, they, they, they encounter uh, wind farms, offshore wind farms on their migrating routes uh, and then they try to uh, uh, fly between the blades but unfortunately the blades are a bit too fast for them so there was a talk uh, about a month ago um, that they would uh, slow down the blades but uh, in, uh, Energy Minister Rob Yetting confirmed this week that uh, the uh, the offshore wind farms near Borsala and Echmontanse were switched off altogether um, for a few hmm. hours uh, at the weekend end when presumably they weren't generating much energy anyway um in order to 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 save the birds so that was rather nice i thought yeah and and uh the government uses a um sort of prediction uh model uh, which was developed by i believe a phd candidate from the university of groningen um and um so they 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 have radars they have they use no, the university of amsterdam it says here oh university of yeah. amsterdam my apologies yeah. uh, they use all sorts of information streams and this this algorithm then predicts when uh, a flock of a huge flock of birds passes uh, 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 um, yeah the wind farms and then they can just shut it down and uh, uh, these four hours it doesn't seem like a lot right so they only shut it down for four hours but um, they can predict it so precise that they uh, only have to shut it down for four hours and uh, no longer yeah. necessary so that's very um, uh, very impressive and um, all sorts of discussions uh, started on the internet right uh, uh, these wind farms they are killing birds and yeah. uh, they yeah. are uh, <laughs> like a, a, a bird genocide uh, but um, um, I'm looking at the statistics uh, uh, statistics here right now and it turns out that um, cats kill 10,000 times more birds than uh, wind farms <laughs> nice. so um yeah the real genocides are probably sitting on your lap yep. right now T- taking part in your yeah, t- yeah roaming about your back garden even as we speak yeah yeah and we also have one uh, announcement to make before we go into the um uh, in, in, into the week's news uh, which is the dutch news has a new look website which is yes. uh, much more uh, smoother and uh, sleeker and user-friendly, or at least I think so, especially in the mobile version of the site. Much uh, um, much more user-friendly, so check that out if you haven't already. And, of course, uh, our podcast is uh, one of the uh, prime items on it. So, Yes. Uh, another reason to go and uh, check out the liner notes <laughs> after or while you've been listening to... Uh, to the podcast yes and that brings us to uh, the OPEF of the week mm-hmm. because uh, there is enormous OPEF from the snack bar world because this week it was announced that there is a major shortage of bami schrijven oh no and for those who are unfamiliar with the typical Dutch snack, a bami schrijf is a deep-fried slice of breaded bami and that's an Indonesian stir-fried noodle dish and uh, as I was writing this script and I tried to um, uh, describe what a baimschrijf was, I thought, what a ridiculous idea this is, yeah. uh, <laughs> the idea of a baimschrijf. I hope the inventor is uh, locked away in solitary confinement for the rest of his life. <laughs> for his own protection, uh, because, yeah. 
It's so ridiculous, but I have to say I'm a fan. I like it very much. The concept is really weird, but yeah, uh, I, I, I do like them. It, it works. Yeah. I think it works, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, and another variation is a nasi schijf, but I don't think that one works because nasi is uh, a stir-fried uh, rice, yeah. right? And uh, yeah, I think that works a little bit less because all the, uh, uh, all the rice keeps falling out of your nasi schijf. Yeah, it's, it's more like it. kind of rice cracker, isn't it? It's like a yeah. Yeah, savory rice cracker. Mm. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, if you've ever been to a Vrijdagmiddag borrel, uh, so drinks with co-workers uh, on Friday afternoon, mm. you probably have uh, came, come across uh, uh, a baimi schijf once or twice uh, because they are typically uh, featured on a borrelschaal. Uh, the Bijmischijf shortage is uh, so severe that Elite Snacks, which is the producer of them in <laughs> Nede, felt uh, uh, they needed to issue a statement in which they say they are sorry snack bars often have to say no to their customers. They deny the rumors that the reason for the shortage is because they are halting the Bijmischijf production. Uh, to the contrary, they say the deep fried snacks is more popular than ever and they are working very hard to keep it up with the demand. And this year they expect a new factory to be opened which will increase the production capacity threefold to a whopping three and a half tons of Bamischijf per hour. Wow. Which doesn't seem right when I read it, but uh, it's... Uh, three and a half <laughs> tons, yeah. Yeah, it's enormous. Yeah. Um, the news did spark heated debates on the internet between uh, fans of the Bamischijf on the one hand and people who absolutely detest them <laughs> on the other. Uh, some Is it like very the Dutch version of Marmite? You know about uh, yeah. the Marmite debate in Britain? Yeah. I think so, yeah. There's no middle ground, basically. Either no. you love them or you hate them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a Unilever product, of course. So it's actually... Is it the, again? The, the, ah, the well. doctor to blame for Marmite. Yeah. No, Unilever moved to Br- to to London uh, yeah. recently, so yeah. no, we we uh, we have no uh, no part in the in the in the in the marmite <laughs> you, you, discussion. You, you, you've uh, abrogated responsibility. Yes. Yeah. Um, some people were generally surprised by the news, pointing out that uh, the little bijmischijfjes are always the leftovers of a borrelplank. And others said they were absolutely shocked because they had no idea. So many people with <laughs> questionable taste are walking around on the streets. Mm. And I have to say, it is true, the bijmischijf are always the ones that are last over in, on the on the. Uh, on the borrelschaal, but that's in my favor because uh, I like them, Your so I always fan. have yeah. more snacks than the rest. And I also uh, experienced uh, the Bijmischijf shortage myself two times in the last week uh, because I went to a automatique that is, um, you know, on the on the train station or something. Yeah. They have these little doors where you can buy a little snack. Um, and um, I wanted to have a Bijmischijf and uh, yeah, there, 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 there were no, none. They weren't uh, available. Two times mm. on two occasions. So yeah, it's. Uh, I have experienced myself with this uh, dreadful uh, shortage. You, you have suffered from the from the Bijmischijf drought. Yes. Yeah. Do you like them? I can't remember if I've had one. To be honest, <laughs> I've, uh, I, I like Bami, so and I like. Uh, deep fried stuff so i'm guessing that uh, bami schijf would, uh, would would be appealing but i yeah, also well, can't remember if, if i've ever actually had one hmm. well you should uh, you should try one or at yeah. least try to get one because uh, yeah if i can you, get my uh, hands on one yeah exactly yeah. yeah maybe you can buy one on oh yeah there were also all sorts of jokes on the internet of people selling their yeah. uh, uh, bami schijf in the, in their in their freezer for ridiculous amounts yeah. of yeah, money on marktplatz and stuff like that yeah so uh, <laughs> Uh, lots of jokes uh, to ma- to be made. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll sell my house for a Bami <laughs> <laughs> or your tulips. 
A uh, Dutch satellite company in Brabant may have acted as a front for the sale of U.S. military equipment to Russia, according to the FBI. Nikos B., the Greek owner of the company based in Rije, was arrested in Paris last week on the suspicion of espionage, fraud and smuggling. According to the FBI, B forged export permits for sensitive American dual-use military technology, lied that the items were for the Dutch market and passed them to the Russian intelligence services. He remains in French custody pending an extradition request to the US. B is the founder of a Greek conglomerate called Aratos Group, located near an airbase of the Royal Netherlands Air Force. Aratos is a collection of defense and technology companies in the Netherlands and Greece, uh, and they have worked as a contractor for NATO and other ally countries, and they even were one of the finalists in the NATO Innovation Challenge. Uh, well, I, I guess he did take quite an innovative approach to engineering. <laughs> in <laughs> That's right, yes, but yeah, it shouldn't be awarded by NATO, I think. No. Um, a U.S. attorney said the Aratos Group has helped to fuel Russia's war effort in Ukraine and that development of next-generation weapons. Yeah, and apparently he was uh, uh, he was invited to Moscow in about 2016-2017, um, and that's they, they think that's when the Russians recruited him. And uh, he, he they said that the agenda was of a very sensitive nature, but no one really seemed to pick up on it at the time. So no, was, yeah. Uh, so what kind of secrets have been passed to the Russians in this period of? what about six or seven years now yeah the the fbi released a very long list uh, of, of of all the stuff uh, uh, that was supposedly passed on the russians um it the company dealt with all sorts of high-end technology such as semiconductors used in quantum cryptography and testing of nuclear weapons it also involved the blockchain technology which reminded me of rian van rijbroek mm. uh, who, who i'm sure is somehow involved in all of this um, well, the that can probably be only to be our benefit. Uh, but if, if, she, if she's been passing on secrets to the Russians, because there'll be fake secrets, it <laughs> would it would explain the 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 the. It would the, explain the, the bad performance of uh, Russia's military technology. Really, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you're stealing all my jokes, Gordon. <laughs> um, the company also deals with artificial intelligence and defense techniques against drone attacks. So yeah, yeah as you said, uh, it would explain a lot if uh, if Rian van Rijbroek was involved in this company. <laughs> Um, as you said, according to the FBI, B was recruited by the Russians in 2017. He was uh, asked in an email to travel to Moscow alone because of a sensitive agenda. He received uh, instructions in Moscow on how to mislead the Americans by claiming to be the end user of uh, sensitive technology. Uh, for example, Aratos purchased military antennas from, from a company in Florida, which they stated were intended for recreational and tourist seagoing vessels. I have no idea why they need military. Uh, uh, I don't know why Jeff Bezos needs uh, military technology on his vessel, but okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, these antennas were then uh, transferred to uh, a company called Cernia, which is a Russian company on the U.S. sanction list, um, and they are listed as an instrument for the Russian war machine. So has he been uh, equipping all of those Russian fishing vessels that have been spotted in the North Sea lately with uh, armed I, men on board? I, I, I think so, yes. Yeah. Uh, it, would, uh, it would explain a lot, I think. Yeah. Um, and apparently B came on the FBI's radar after Googling terms such as Netherlands illegal export Russia and Dutch police arrest for exports <laughs> to Russia. And um, the Telegraaf um, uncovered also an Instagram post by him, uh, dated in 2017, and he can be seen visiting the Kremlin. Ah. So, yeah, a lot of... Um, so, yeah. He, he hasn't really... Um, he didn't, uh, did go, he didn't try to too hard to cover his tracks, really. No. Did he? Yeah. 
Yeah, and yet it took them six uh, six years to to catch him, which is a little worrying. And it's yeah, uh, not right. uh, the first uh, uh, example of uh, Russian spies being active in the Netherlands, is it? No, uh, last October, the head of the Dutch military intelligence service warned that Dutch high-tech companies uh, might be unknowingly selling their technologies to companies set up by the Russian secret service. According to the MIVD, Russia has set up front organizations and companies with the aim of purchasing uh, sensitive technology in the Netherlands and smuggling it to Russia for military purposes. And in March last year, 17 Russian diplomats were expelled from the Netherlands for espionage, some of whom were tasked with purchasing technology for the Russian war effort. And as you said, there are all sorts of, um, uh, recently there are all sorts of activities from um, um, uh, ghost ships uh, 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 Mm. flying the Russian flag with all sorts of armed men uh, on them, and they are uh, suspiciously close to all sorts of communication cables in the North Sea. Um, and I believe uh, uh, the Netherlands is now um, uh, trying to set up a, a coalition among uh, North Sea countries to uh, to tackle this uh, this problem. Because until now, there's no there's not a, a cooperative um, yeah mechanism to deal with uh, um, suspicious uh, uh, ship activities from Russia. Yeah. The Dutch economy unexpectedly contracted in the first three months of 2023. Economists had expected to see modest growth, in line with the EU average of 0.3%, but the figures showed the economy actually shrank by 0.7% since the last Hmm. quarter of 2022, and that's compared to modest growth in France and Belgium, 0.2% in France, 0.4% in Belgium, so we're being outdone by the Belgians. Mm, year on year, that's bad news. Always bad news. Yeah, year on year GDP grew by one point nine percent, but that's mainly because uh, uh, yeah, in, at the start of twenty twenty two, we were still emerging from lockdown, so that's kind of distorted the figures. Nevertheless, investments were up by one point one percent, and government spending increased by zero point five percent. And the statistics agency CBS pointed out that the Netherlands has outpaced the EU average since the pandemic started. I, I'm not too too worried about this uh, contraction because I'm sure once this uh, Bamischrijf factory yeah, is open, yeah. uh, the, the the GDP will be uh, will be up uh, uh, again by uh, by one percent, and we uh, will surpass the Belgians again. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the productivity has just slumped since people couldn't get Bamischrijf at their <laughs> Framibo, right? That must exactly. be it. morale has collapsed. So <laughs> yes, yeah, we need to import um, lots of uh, Belgian chips, probably. <laughs> That's always a good idea. Yeah. Um, but there's no reason to panic, I assume? Well, the CBS doesn't seem to think so. It uh, also reported this week that unemployment fell marginally in the first quarter. At the same time, the number of vacancies increased. So there are now 122 jobs available for every 100 people who are officially out of work. So mm. we have this skills shortage that's uh, going on and, in, if anything, getting worse. Uh, so the opposite from the normal problem in the jobs market. Uh, vacancies went up in retail and business services, but the biggest rise was in healthcare, where an extra 3,000 mm. jobs were up for grabs in the first few yeah. months. I wonder where this shortage comes from. Mm. Um, yeah, and um, uh, uh, unemployment is, is uh, yeah, on a, on a record low, right? So yeah. where are we going to get these... Uh, the surplus of 22 jobs. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's why you see uh, posters hanging up in every branch of Crowdfut uh, yeah. loudly uh, yeah, uh, c- calling for people to uh, step in and uh, ask for a job because they're desperate for staff. Yes, and um, 
I assume everybody is happy with the state of the economy now? Uh, not everybody. Uh, the, the audit office, the Alkamina Rekenkamer, published its annual assessment of the spring budget statement this week on what's known as a Verantwortingsdag, oh, or Accountability yes. Day. Uh, its other nickname is Gehaktag, or Mincemeat <laughs> Day, because they, the, the, the tradition is that they, they really uh, to stick the boot into the finance minister. And that's what happened uh, this year as well. Uh, it was just before Ascension Day, and Sikhikach probably wished she could have been taken up to a happier place when there were no auditors to deliver a damning verdict on the state of the public finances. Cause the At least she could carry a special briefcase again. Yeah, exactly. A, a brand new briefcase, yeah, which yeah. is uh, a, another unwarranted spending commitment, probably. <laughs> um, the auditors found that 10 out of the 12 government departments didn't have their affairs in order and a total of 4.6 billion euros couldn't be accounted for. That was an improvement on 2021, the second year of lockdown, when 15.5 billion was missing from the records. Uh, on the bright side, the auditors uh, said the problems were probably down to incompetence rather than corruption, but they warned that oh. the Dutch government was not in a fit state to deal with another crisis on the scale of the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic. Uh, they said the coffers are in order, but the administration is not. And the worst offender was once again the healthcare ministry, uh, which uh, has obviously been yeah. blighted by scandals around face masks and just the fact that uh, Hugo de Jonge was, uh, was, was healthcare minister for a couple of years. Uh, they found it's also it's also of course the department with the with the largest bu budget by far from from all the all the departments. So. It is yes. Yeah. Um, but 5.6 billion in advance payments that were made during the coronavirus pandemic still haven't been accounted for out of a total of 94 billion. So, yeah, um, still ongoing uh, repercussions of, uh, of the pandemic. The Social Affairs Ministry was also criticised for its handling of the STAP budget. And this was a subsidy yeah. scheme that was in, uh, set up to encourage people to train or retrain or reskill, particularly during the pandemic when some sectors just completely fell silent. But the auditors found that 60% of people would have taken up a course without the subsidy and uh, people who were older, people who were less skilled to begin with, or flex workers, who were the type of people who it was really kind of aimed at, who who could have benefited from it were actually underrepresented in the applicants so a lot of the 184 million spent on the stap scheme ended up going to people who didn't really need it and it's no. uh, had a lot of criticism from many quarters for that and the government has said it will scrap the scheme from 2024 yeah and uh, yeah we should also mention that uh, the algemene rekenkamer which is probably the most boring institution <laughs> there is in the Netherlands, uh, it's 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 the government audit uh, service, right? It's, yeah. it's uh, basically the, the the government's accountant service, and apparently they also conducted some tests regarding the uh, the military. On eight occasions, they tried to sneak into uh, one of the highest security facilities of the Dutch uh, army, mm. and in four occasions they could, um, yeah, just simply. Uh, jump over the fence or 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 or, or, or walk through the gate they without uh, being stopped like they're in basically yeah yeah and i i i just simply can't believe that someone from the from the algemene rekenkamer <laughs> came up with the idea of let's sneak into uh, an army base uh, and see what's happening and in some cases yeah, yeah. did in, they pretend in, to be greek satellite technicians was that <laughs> was this their ruse <laughs> yeah so so I'm, so, I'm, I'm just yes. on my way through to a secret visit to moscow and they said okay that's fine i'm sure there's nothing suspicious there on you go i think they 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 <laughs> said they were delivering barmischeiven and they were just happy that uh, someone was bringing them to them yeah uh, now, and on one occasion uh, this group of of, of uh, accountants 
government accountants, uh, they they jumped over a fence and they were uh, hiding in the middle of the night in bushes. And then a patrol, military patrol, passed by and 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 they just waved at the, at the group of accountants <laughs> and uh, <laughs> continued their patrol yeah. as if uh, yeah nothing was happening. Wow. So um, yeah, f- very worrying that. Um, <laughs> That some people can just uh, yeah jump over a fence uh, at the army base and uh, yeah nothing is done against it. Yeah, I think ninja accountants are the most, one of the most Dutch things I've ever heard of. <laughs> but, uh. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a bit surreal, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we just uh, talked about uh, uh, the pandemic and money, and the government is having trouble uh, reclaiming its coronavirus support, uh, don't they? Yes, there's a report this week that around 60,000 companies that were given extra time to pay their taxes or got some other kind of state support during lockdown still haven't started paying back the money. The tax minister, Manix van Rij, told MPs that the state is still owed 16.5 billion euros altogether by 97,000 companies. The government has sent out reminders recently to 103,000 companies who were in arrears, including 73,000 who haven't paid anything. So, yeah, slow progress, really, if they've only managed to uh, get a response from 6,000 out of 103,000. 10% of companies have repaid their debts in full, uh, so they must feel like right suckers now. But officials estimate (laughs) that 2.5 0.5 billion euros of the debt will have to be written off. According to The Guardian, Prime Minister Mark Rutte and his British counterpart Rishi Sunak have agreed to build an international coalition to provide F-16 fighter jets for Ukraine. A British government spokesperson said Rutte and Sunak would work to build an international coalition to provide Ukraine with combat air capabilities, ranging from trainings to procuring F-16 jets. The two leaders met in Iceland on Tuesday, where the Council of Europe held a summit. Uh, Rutte's, I always forget the Council of Europe exists. Yeah, so does uh, everybody, I think, because it only meets yeah. about like so once every uh, seven years or something. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And then, confusingly enough, they also have the same flag as the European Union. <laughs> um, so that doesn't help uh, with uh, distinguishing themselves from uh, from other European institutions, I think. Um, Rutte's spokesperson uh, denied, however, that the two prime ministers had reached an agreement, uh, but uh, they repeated the Netherlands is working hard behind the scenes to reach a consensus with partners like Belgium and Denmark on supplying fighter jets to Ukraine. Uh, Supplying fighter jets to Ukraine is not a taboo subject, uh, Rutte reiterated, but uh, he also said that it is not yet a done deal. Uh, Zelensky had hinted on Monday that Kiev could soon receive F-16 fighter jets after a meeting with Sunak uh, at his country uh, retreat. I think that's Chequers, Chequers, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, then again, they need, of course, the permission from the US, who is the producer of these uh, fighter jets first. Yeah. And uh, I don't think they are currently too keen on uh, on, on supplying uh, these uh, these jets to Ukraine, but. Um, as we've seen with the tanks, uh, everything can uh, can soon um, change, and uh, yeah, who yeah, knows? It but is likely to be a sticking point, but yeah, as you say, uh, yeah, the, the, the Americans are definitely not. Uh, it seems the Americans are pr- pretty much set on not supplying the attackums. So it's a yeah. question of what uh, what else, um, yeah, the Ukrainians can uh, persuade the West to hand over. But uh, I, I, I just wonder if um, what we're going to see first uh, a deal to supply Ukraine with F-16s or an agricultural deal between the farmers and the Dutch government. Definitely the F-16s, yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is strange that uh, uh, yeah, the Britons and, and Margrethe have uh, such a different uh, view on what has been to- discussed and what have been agreed. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit strange. Uh, it's 
Uh, it's a bit annoying that there is uh, so many so much uncertainty about it. I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, but other things have been decided uh, during the summit as well. Yes, the 46 members of the Council of Europe agreed to establish a register of damage caused by Russia's aggression in Ukraine. Uh, the Council said the register, which is to be based in The Hague, is a first step towards an international compensation mechanism and it's the first legally binding instrument to hold Russia accountable for its crimes against Ukraine. The register will catalogue all damages to Ukrainian individuals, companies and uh, uh, administrations by Russia since the invasion of February 23rd and it will also serve as a record of evidence for a possible future tribunal. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said the register shows that Putin has failed in his efforts to divide Europe and uh, has achieved the opposite. We stand closer together in Europe than ever, he said. Mm. And um, yeah, um, it's another win for The Hague. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Who desperately wants (laughs) everything that has to do with any sorts of uh, accountability or tribunals uh, uh, in this war to have it based in The Hague. Yeah, all to be clustered in The Hague. Yeah, well, that's what international uh, crimes and uh, uh, international war crimes experts say. They say there's no point having it scattered around Europe. You might as well have it all in one place because that's where the lawyers are and the researchers and all the people who have expertise in the field. So it makes sense. Um, and it's not that the, the cabinet is uh, is having a street party uh, at uh, at the plain in the Hague, but uh, I, I'm sure that if this um, uh, uh, this register was based in a different city somewhere in Europe, then they would definitely be uh, a little bit grumpy about it. So uh, yeah, 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 they uh, yeah. they are they, they are secretly very happy. That They're secretly very happy. Yeah, and of, co- and of course we have the best ninja accountants in the world as well. Yeah, to, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's to oversee right. the process. So. <laughs> That's another uh, feather in our cap. Um, and uh, yes, uh, speaking of um, uh, uh, Russian assets, uh, there's been a big win this week for Amsterdam squatters. Yes, it has nothing to do with Iceland, but uh, yeah. I thought it is worth mentioning uh, yeah. uh, because it's a fun story. There is a group of squatters in a Russian oligarch's home in Amsterdam, uh, and they can stay where they are because a court of appeals have ruled that evicting the squatters would lead to an unjustified vacancy because the sanctions against the Russian owner prohibit him from using the property. The group of squatters moved into the oligarch's mansion on the Vosjerstraat in October last year as a protest against the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm. Uh, Arkady Volos, who is uh, on the EU sanction list, filed a lawsuit against the squatters, but the court ruled that the group can stay. The court did warn the squatters, though, that they are not allowed to cause nuisance for the neighbors. Uh, and that means that uh, they cannot hold large parties. So, uh, yeah, they have to uh, remain quiet. Um, yeah, they have to be, have to be uh, on their best. They have to be well behaved, but they can yes. stay in Volosh's mansion. Yes, Volosh argued that uh, they should be evicted because he wants to renovate his house. But uh, the court pointed out that renovation work is banned under sanctions because you're improving the value of your property as an asset and you're not allowed to do ah, that. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, never looked at it that way. But, yeah, of course, it is uh, some form of investment, of course. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. He will have to do a lot of more renovations once the squatters uh, are gone. They will, yes. uh, (laughs) Ukraine still needs fighter jets, Brabant needs some new satellite technicians, and the Dutch News podcast still needs any spare change uh, you can afford to support our efforts to keep you up to speed with the latest news, politics and sport here in the Netherlands. We are really are very grateful to all our patrons who keep us going, and um, uh, we're not quite sure why, but uh, nevertheless, uh, thank you very much indeed for continuing to support us. This week we have three patrons to thank for their support. Uh, firstly, thank you very much to Bruce Lees. 
Um, <laughs> also to also to Eric Marcus, who describes himself as a long-term listener but first-time patron. But it's, it's never too late to become yeah. a patron, so thank you very much, Eric. And a special thanks to Lane Jekyll-Santos, who was kind enough to uh, up her donation recently. Uh, Lane says nice. she and her husband are Dutch-loving Americans who have visited many times and would like to retire here. There, there's a nice house on the Vosjesstraat for sale. There I think, is, so yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. recently renovated as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Eric Marcus uh, also sent us a question, uh, which uh, we like very much, uh, this question of uh, Eric. Um, he says, uh, what's with the Dutch and hats? As in, why don't they ever seem to wear them? Uh, is it because they love or miss the sun so much? They don't want anything to get in the way? Or maybe they just take pride in good hair? Hmm. Uh, my first question when I uh, when you, you told me this question was, yeah. is this person American? Yeah, <laughs> the, the answer, answer was yes. yes. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> because in my experience, Americans are uh, overly obsessed with hats and caps and stuff <laughs> like that. And also sunglasses, by the way. Yeah. I, uh, I was in Amsterdam uh, uh, yesterday and I, uh, uh, as a, yeah, I never paid any attention to... Uh, uh, hat wearing people and I, I did so yesterday in Amsterdam and, and, and I noticed that um, yeah almost only uh, tourists uh, are wearing them so yeah. yes uh, I think you're right and uh, the Dutch do not wear them that often uh, and I think it has to do indeed with uh, with the sun because yeah we don't see it that often so when it's there we're just happy that uh, yeah we can uh, we, we can ha- enjoy a little bit of sun uh, a little bit of sunlight yeah we're happy to um, take the risk of uh, melanoma um, because uh, yeah. we see so, <laughs> so little sunshine in this area yeah. I mean, yeah. what, what we do see we don't, don't see very much of those kind of uh, like beanie hats that seem to be very popular in no. in the States and none of those at all you do still have I'm, I'm afraid to say have uh, Dutch Dutch men white Dutch men in their 40s wearing baseball caps and thinking they're still cool uh, that is an unfortunate phenomenon that we haven't managed to stamp out um, and you do have uh, uh, women wearing quite big extravagant um, wide brimmed hats as well so there's not yeah. a total yeah. absence of hats uh, headgear in the Netherlands but uh, yeah definitely less I think than you would see in the typical town in the States Yes. If you've got any questions for us, uh, or if you'd like to become a Dutch News podcast patron for as little as a dollar or a euro a month, uh, log on to www.patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com/slash-dutchnewsnl. Reading standards in the Netherlands have slipped dramatically in the last five years. Uh, That's according to a survey of 57 countries by PEARLS, the Progress in International Reading Literary Study. They found that Dutch children took less pleasure in reading, and although they were good at finding and looking up information, they struggled to evaluate what they read. The Dutch score on PEARLS dropped by 18 points, which was described as significant, but researchers said the impact of COVID should be borne in mind. Education Minister Dennis Viersma said it was the first time in 15 years that the Netherlands had scored below the average score of 21 Western countries in the survey. More than 4,000 children at 131 primary schools took part in the survey that was carried out shortly after a six-month coronavirus shutdown. So that may have skewed the findings a little, but uh, nevertheless, uh, whichever way you look at it, it's not great news. Uh, Singapore, Hong Kong and Russia topped the list while Finland and Poland were the best-performing European nations. I guess, I guess uh, critical reading is a very important skill in Russia, given uh, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the kind of output, the, the kind of stuff you have to read um, yeah, from, the, uh, from the Russian government on, uh, on Twitter. You have to kind of decipher the, um, the propaganda, so I guess that is quite good for your critical reading skills. There's one... Uh thing in Russia that doesn't need uh, very much deciphering and that is whenever the Kremlin denies something it is true basically yeah
But yeah, kind of a yeah. I don't know. I don't know. This is quite a quite a worrying trend. And uh, it was interesting. You said that uh, Dutch children don't take much pleasure in reading. I sort of wonder if because uh, I know I know in Dutch schools there's this great emphasis on what they call begrijpen lezen, or sort of in, yeah, you know, understanding through reading, where you know you're not really. Um, you know, you, 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 where, 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 yeah, where, where, where the focus is very much on kind of you know whether you can um, uh, understand particular phrases and words in the text and the kind of the general just sheer sort of uh, you know it, it makes it quite an effortful uh, quite an effortful task rather than a, rather than um, you know an, an enjoyable one and I wondered if that was something to do with it. My proposal would be to have primary school uh, uh, pupils read audit reports by the Rekenkamer <laughs> first, and then after that, everything else is is uh, is uh, extremely entertaining to read. Yes. So maybe that is the that is the way to go. Yeah, that's an excellent proposal. British uh, film director Steve McQueen's documentary Occupied City has premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. The four-hour-long film is about life in Amsterdam at the time of the Nazi occupation and is based on the book Atlas of an Occupied City, Amsterdam 1940-1945 by his partner Bianca Stichter. The film is narrated by Melanie Hyams and evokes the city's wartime past using contemporary images such as a protest by Extinction Rebellion and empty streets during the Covid lockdowns. McQueen never yielded to the temptation of inserting a single archival image into his documentary. Amsterdam resident Steve Green, who translated the book for the filmmaker, told Dutch News that in the original work, a picture gradually emerges of the human skill, the interactions of Nazis, collaborators, Jews and resistance fighters living in close proximity, the messiness of human life in the most extreme of circumstances. Screen Daily described McQueen's film as a solemn tribute to Amsterdam and an ethereal visualization of collective memory, past and present. Deadline.com says the documentary takes its place among great World War II-themed films and The Guardian gave it five stars. The film will be released in the Netherlands later this year. When I first read the article, I had no idea what the film was about. <laughs> I only read four-hour-long film and I was immediately not interested. But, uh, yeah, I dived a little bit into it and it seems uh, yeah, quite interesting. Yeah, uh, it sounds fascinating the way it kind of overlays contemporary Amsterdam with its history and you realise how, how much things have changed. Yeah, but um, also how, how, how things are still uh, the same or something. Yeah, yeah how so you can still are... see the traces and how the past still shapes the present. Yeah, yeah I, th I think there was some commentary that they only slightly questionable thing about it was obviously this kind of linking uh, the Nazi occupation with, uh, the, with the coronavirus period which sort of stirs up um, uh, a yeah. lot of uh, sentiment that you know that, that we had uh, from the conspiracy theorists during Covid I don't, think that's, I don't think that's his point at all I think it's just an unfortunate uh, coincidence but nevertheless yeah, it's, uh, yeah that, that shooting uh, yeah, coincided with, yeah. uh, with the lockdowns and with the empty streets but on the other hand yeah it also shows how a city looks like when yeah life comes to a standstill and yeah. uh, if that is because of a lockdown because of a pandemic or it is because of war it has the same visual effect but of course the reasons uh, behind it were completely different yeah it's just how i guess how the physical shape and the look of the city is completely determined by the actual uh, circumstances of the, the historical circumstances you can see the city actually go through different moods so although the buildings yeah. are the same it looks completely different say when it's bustling with tourists compared to when it was empty during lockdowns and 
that's something people commented on a lot at the time and I think it was one of the motivations for Amsterdam trying now to get rid of some of the tourists and change the type of tourists who come because they realised that uh, when everybody disappeared during lockdown on the one hand it felt very empty and uh, soulless but on the other hand you realise that not everything that you'd lost you actually wanted to bring back necessarily yeah but that wasn't the only film news this week in Amsterdam, right? No, because um, my feeling is that you, uh, Gordon, wanted to discuss this <laughs> bit of news. I wanted to mention it. I'm not sure I wanted to discuss it in great length, but... Uh, no, no, no. But at least you managed to avoid that you have to read the script out loud. You gave this <laughs> item to me. So I will definitely do that now. Because uh, appeal court judges in Amsterdam have... They had a busy week, the appeal court yeah. judges in Amsterdam. They have ruled that uh, the maker of an art porn film starring French writer Michel Ulbeck must show him the film uh, first before it is uploaded to the internet. And if Welbeck is uh, unhappy about the final production, he is then free to go to court again to have the distribution blocked, the court said on Tuesday. The novelist lost his first legal attempt to stop Dutch art collective Kirak issuing the film in which he has sex with several young women. The lower court ruled it is incomprehensible that Welbeck hadn't stopped participating in the recordings if he found the agreement signed with the collective to be problematic. The writer had signed a release form agreeing to appear in the film, which said the participants will be performing as a subject for usage in artistic, fictional, documentary, performative, essayistic, erotic, pornographic film and Kirok episodes. Long description for porn. I'm not wildly keen to see this film, but I would like to know what the essayistic element uh, is in this <laughs> in this movie. I, I really don't want to know anything about this <laughs> film, I have to say. The only restriction, according to the court documents, was that the film would not show his face and genitals in the same shot. <laughs> Relbeck walked out on the project before the end of the shoot at an Amsterdam hotel room after disagreements with the director. In the appeal, Welbeck referred to a trailer and an interview given by the filmmaker which indicated the film would be damaging to his reputation because the filmmaker wouldn't honor agreements they had made about a game of fact and fiction. What an article. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, basically, this French novelist, I thought he was a philosopher as well, isn't he? Yeah, kind of, yes. uh, Yeah, yeah, sort of a philosophical novelist, you could say. He appeared in a porn. Hmm. He had signed... A contract yeah. that he would appear in one, yeah, with very specific details of uh, yeah what he would do and who with and uh, in what way, exactly. Yeah. And then halfway the shooting, he walked out, got cold feet, realized, mm. oh, I have started porn. <laughs> yeah, I realized it was maybe a, not a thing he really wanted to get into. No, and yeah. then uh, sued this art group, which has a history of similar things. In fact, it has a reputation, basically, for sending up uh, intellectuals and making them look stupid. Exactly. That, that's kind of their raison d'etre. And now uh, he's losing the, the court cases yeah. uh, because he had signed this watertight contract. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a, one of the craziest stories uh, we've seen this year, I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah, one way to deal with this is just not go to court over it because, yes. you know, that only draws more attention to it. Yeah, it's exactly. It, um, it's generated absolute ton of publicity. I guess the only hope he's got, I think, the only get-out clause is, is this, is this um, clause that says they can't show his face and his genitals in the same shot because he's made such a gigantic dick of himself now that you could probably argue <laughs> that just seeing him in the film is indeed showing his genitals. I didn't want to make uh, this joke, but I'm uh, <laughs> glad that you did, Gordon. So... Uh, <laughs>
Finally, sports news and Feyenoord beat Go Ahead Eagles 3-0 at the weekend to wrap up their 16th Eredivisie League title and their first in six years. Ari Slot's side have only lost once in the league all season and are on a winning streak of 12 games in a row, including a crucial 3-2 win at Ajax at the end of March. PSV looks set to finish second, they're five points ahead of Ajax with two matches to play, and that would mean Ajax end the season outside the top two for the first time since 2010. Yeah, and um, every fan of Ajax is absolutely devastated by this, yeah. and they are on the brink of uh, total emotional uh, breakdowns. Total meltdown, they can't compute it, yeah, including the King, because uh, final fans yeah. hang a massive banner outside Palais Sustek this, uh, oh, this did week. They? Yeah. yeah, so I think it's 25 metres long, because the King recently came out as an Ajax fan. So, yes, yeah. yes. And uh, there were big celebrations uh, in Rotterdam, uh, weren't there? Yes, uh, the celebrations kicked off on Sunday on Stutthouse Plain, uh, where thousands of fans are gathered to watch the decisive match on the outdoor screen. The celebrations were mostly good-natured, but police did make around 100 arrests uh, for things like having fireworks and verbal abuse. And they used water cannons to disperse the last of the revellers at 8.30pm. So, yeah, it's not hmm. like they went on long into the night either. The official celebration was uh, on Monday morning outside the City Hall on uh, the coal single. Children were given the day off school, provided they weren't sitting oh, exams really? that day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> The City Council thought that uh, they should have the opportunity to experience celebrations live. Struck me as weird because, you know, Feyenoord, have, it's not like they've won the league title for the first time in sort of 100 years or something. They quite regularly win the Dutch league. The last time was seven years seven ago, years I think. Ago. Yeah. And the time before that was 17 years ago. So I think they still ha- are in this mental state of having almost two decades uh, without a win. But yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, it's been a long time, but uh, yeah, seven years not too long, I No, think. it's not like a whole generation has had to wait for a title. No. Uh, anyway, the players were met by Mayor Ahmed Abu Taleb in the City Hall before going out onto the balcony to receive the adulation from the fans. And the crowd started gathering at 7 in the morning, even though the balcony scene wasn't till noon. And if you were standing around for five hours, it was quite thirsty work because you weren't allowed to bring more than a litre of water or a soft drink in, or anything in a hard plastic container. <laughs> Why is that? Is that because of recent incidents with hard plastic containers? Uh, yeah, final fans you know, you haven't had a completely unblemished record lately in terms of uh, throwing yeah, cans and plastic bottles into, into fountains. Uh, but yeah, the City Town Council produced a huge long list of banned items, uh, which also included alcohol, drugs, vuvuzelas, drums, selfie sticks, umbrellas, large quantities of paper or confetti, toilet roll or nail varnish. Oh wow. So, uh, fans were yeah. also limited to just one cigarette lighter, although there weren't <laughs> any IX players hanging around to throw them at, so I don't know why you bother taking it anyway. Uh, and you could only take one flag and it had to be okay. on a pole no longer than one metre long and 20 millimetres in circumference. Okay, so there were municipality officials with uh, uh, yeah m- measuring tools yep. to uh, probably <laughs> to check if all the poles were of uh, yeah within the allowed uh, dimensions. Yeah, I wonder how long it took them to actually write this list. I imagine there's probably a whole team of council officials who were tasked with uh, spending a whole afternoon working out what you could and couldn't bring into the celebrations. I think so too. Yeah. Yes. And were there any other highlights from the celebrations? Yeah, it was quite a touching moment. I think uh, ASPN interviewed a woman called Hani who turned up on the coal single with a photograph of her son because he was a big Feyenoord fan, but very sadly he died in December. And she was talking mm. about how he'd, he'd have loved to have been there with her standing on the, um, outside the City Hall congratulating the fans and she felt like this was a way of him being there in spirit. And within hours mm. of this being broadcast, uh, fans had raised €12,000 in a crowdfunding campaign to pay for oh. Hani to have a carefree weekend away. 
which uh, was rather oh, nice. That's very nice. Yeah. Uh, and also the championship was won on the day that Rotterdam was bombed during the Second World War. Ah. So it was also a uh, very special uh, date in that regard for the city. Mm. And that was also coincidentally the same day that um, Rotterdam won the last time, yeah. uh, the championship last time. So yeah, there's uh, all sorts of... Um, historical events uh, coming together yeah. on this day. M maybe Steve McQueen should make a film about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I also saw that someone had brought an urn of, I think, their dad or something, right. and they emptied it in the Hofplein Viver, okay. in his fountain on the Hofplein, while everyone else was dancing and swimming in right. it. So yeah, it was, uh, that was not necessarily the best timing, I think. Mm. I imagine that was probably on the list of banned items, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yes, but the Hofplein is not the call single. It's no. a completely different Monopoly street. So, yeah, that was probably allowed. Um, and there was also a disappointment for uh, Alkmaar, wasn't there? Yeah, Azet were trying to emulate Feyenoord's run to the Conference League final last year and reach their first European final in 42 years. Standing in their way were West Ham United, who took a 2-1 lead into the second leg in Alkmaar, and despite Azet pressing and probing and creating lots of chances, they were unable to break down West Ham's defensive wall, and then in the third minute of injury time, Pablo Fornals robbed Salt into the wounds with a breakaway goal for West Ham. So the Hammers will face Fiorentina in the final in Prague after the Italian side beat FC Basel in extra time. Ah. So another near miss for Azad Alkmaar. And there was some trouble after the game, uh, after when some Azad fans jumped into the enclosure where the West Ham fans and the players' families were sitting to basically try and start a fight. Riot police were sent in to disperse them and the coach Pascal Janssen and some of the Azet players went in to try to intervene and pull them away. Azet's wow. Greek defender, Pantelis Katsidiakos, said the scenes were a disgrace for Dutch football. His grandmother had travelled from Rhodes to watch the match, he said. Mm. So not really what you want to see when you go to travel to see your grandson playing in the European match. A colossal shame. It was indeed, yes. Very good. He said, quote, I hope she wasn't too shaken. We're playing an English club, so these scenes will go all over the world. We could get a huge fine or have to play the first two matches in Europe next season without supporters because of this, just when we really need them. So not happy. Yes, and there were also scenes of a very curious group of football hooligans coming from AZ, but also FC Groningen, Kampur, uh, and of course West Ham United. They were fighting in the streets of Alkmaar or something. Yeah, it was kind it was of like really a strange. Hooligans United. It was uh, quite, <laughs> yeah. quite bizarre. But yeah, FC Gronia fans just seem bent on starting fights absolutely everywhere at the moment. So it's not entirely hmm. a surprise. Um, yeah, Gronia is the new Feyenoord. Gronia seems to be the new Feyenoord. Yeah, well, Gronia, along with Cambuur, who also mentioned there, um, were, uh, were relegated this season. In the case of Gronia, it was the first time in 23 seasons and their fans mm. really aren't happy. In fact, uh, the last two home games have been abandoned because of crowd trouble. Uh, three weeks ago, the match against NSA was abandoned after 18 minutes under the Canvebe's new rules uh, after a beaker of beer was thrown at a match official. And then last weekend, Gronia beat that record when the home game against Ajax was stopped twice in the first nine minutes. Hmm. Fans threw smoke bombs onto the pitch and one fan ran out with a badly spelled banner calling for the board to resign. The club's director, Wouter Gudde, said it was a sad turn of events when it feels like a victory if your team manages to play the full 90 minutes. I mean, to be fair to Gronia, 20 minutes would be a good result at the moment, so maybe yeah. 90 <laughs> is something to build up to in the long term. Both matches were finished uh, in the subsequent days behind closed doors. Both ended in defeats, and Gronia has now decided to ban its own fans from the last two games of the season. Those are away to Fidesa Arnhem this weekend and at home to Sparta, because basically I think Gronia club directors are just fed up with uh, 
uh, games being disrupted by supporters. Yeah, and I was in Amsterdam uh, yesterday, and on my way back to Amsterdam Central Station, I walked over uh, Dam Square, and all of a sudden I found myself in the middle of a very large group of very drunk West Ham United fans. <laughs> <laughs> and it was quite a scene to behold, uh, I have to say. But uh, Right, they, they haven't uh, been put off by the videos put out by Amsterdam City Council then. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. No, no, no. Funny that. And finally, the Olympic Committee is worried about a decline in sports participation, aren't they? Yes, the bizarrely acronymed NCO Star NSF, which is the Dutch Olympic Committee. You, you don't pronounce the star. I know you don't, but uh, what's yeah. it even doing there? I don't know. Yeah, me neither. No. Yeah. NOS NSF said they, in its annual report that the number of people taking part in sport regularly was still behind its pre-pandemic levels. The total number is up by 500,000 since last year, but sports club membership still hasn't recovered. Hmm. 23% of people in the Netherlands are members of a sports club, which I actually thought was quite high, but it's less than the 27% uh, in 2019. There's also been a contrast between different uh, groups in the population. Children under 12 and the over 65s are back to kind of pre-COVID levels of exercise. But other groups are lagging behind, including teenagers and people with a practical education. So the kind of class gap is growing. And yeah, NOC NSF are worried about this. Uh, Mark van der Tweel, the managing director, said it was very worrying that young people in particular hadn't found their way back to sports clubs. But some sports, like running and climbing, thrive during lockdown, and membership of the Survival Run Association grew by 128% in the last oh. five years. So Interesting. Yeah, so not yeah. all sports are suffering, but uh, yeah, NOC and NSF also said that they think that part of the problem is that uh, sports clubs rely too much on volunteers, and um, maybe people haven't gone back to their volunteer positions and uh, they, they they think that uh, clubs should uh, take on more professional staff, but of course that requires funding. So Yeah, which isn't available... That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, and you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, uh, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating, or consider backing us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl, and you will earn yourself a shout-out on the podcast and the chance to ask us your questions. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Derrick, and we will be back next week. Music